You can turn in your Bibles. We're going to be over in 2 Kings chapter 6. Did anyone find 2 Kings chapter 6 after last Sunday? All right. If you didn't find 2 Kings chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. According to a story in the Grand Rapids Press, the owner of a small foreign car had begun to irritate his friends by bragging incessantly about his gas mileage. So they decided on the way, uh, on a way to get some humor out of his tireless boasting, as well as to bring it to an end. So every day, one of them would sneak into the parking lot where the man kept his car and poured a few gallons of gas into the tank. Soon the braggart was recording absolute phenomenal mileage. He was boasting of getting as much as 90 miles per gallon. And the pranksters took secret delight in his exasperation as he tried to, ex- to convince people of the truthfulness of his claims. It was even more fun to watch his reaction when they stopped refilling the tank and the poor fellow couldn't figure out what happened to his car. <laughs> we were talking last week that uh, this week we'd be on the, looking at some reactions. There's a reaction right there that uh, some people did. How many of you have had people pull pranks just to see your reaction? It's no fun pulling pranks on people who don't react. If you're going to pull a prank, it has to be on someone who reacts. You need to have a reaction. You need to see something out of it. You know, when we were in school, if the girls didn't squeal when you did something like drop a mouse or uh, throw a spider in front of them, it it wasn't fun. They had to make some noise. They had to squeal. They had to jump. They had to drop stuff. You know, something had to happen. If not, well, you just left those other ones alone. You went after the ones who who did. That's, uh, That's kind of the way it was. When my sister and I were growing up, we used to have tickle fights, and I got tired of reacting in a ticklish way. Because she would continue to tickle because it worked. So I decided one day I was not going to be ticklish anymore. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> so she, uh, she lost out on, the, on that part. But, you know, we did some things with each other. And as long as she reacted, I did some more things. It's the reaction. that we get. When we see that reaction, that's what we, we do it for. But we're going to look at some of these reactions. There are sometimes some bad responses, some bad reactions, and they come out of a bad heart. As we've been looking at our heart conditions, some bad hearts, some things that are going on with that. Last week, we looked at Jeremiah and confronting a false prophet, Hananiah. And, of course, the false prophet came with a false word. And when Jeremiah came against it and he spoke the word of God, Hananiah's reaction was false. First thing out of his mouth, he doesn't go and check it out, doesn't do anything. People who are in pride, people who are uh, of, of things that are false, as soon as they hear something, doesn't have to be the truth, as soon as they hear something contrary to what they have said or what they believe, they will call it false. You can identify this real easy. We told you about watching the signs. We've been going over a whole mess of signs. I think one day we just got to collect all the signs and just read them off for you. But this is another sign that you have. Anyone who immediately writes off a thing that is said without first checking it out or coming against it with facts that are already known is a person who is in pride, is a person who is of things that are false. You don't have to go any further than that. You know it. It's constantly in the Word of God. People who were in the truth when they heard something false They didn't just come out and say false. They came out with what the word of the Lord said. In that particular example, Jeremiah went back through history and he said, look, this is what's happened in the past. This is what people have said in the past and this is what actually happened. And he confronted it with evidence. He confronted it with things that were going on. 
and this is what you need to do. That didn't happen last week as we, we looked at that. We saw that pride's effects, even though we are serving. Hananiah felt like he was serving God. But even though he was, pride had gotten in, and these are the effects they have. First off, it hardens our heart. Secondly, it makes us resistant to correction. Pride makes you resistant to correction. Those are things we've talked about in weeks past. We become unteachable, unthankful, and unaccountable. People in pride that are in service to God become unteachable, unthankful, and unaccountable. And it's, 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 <laughs> we don't want to be there. We looked at before, a number of weeks ago, that when we are in pride, the impossible becomes impossible. But when we are in faith, what is impossible with men, the Word of God says, is possible with God. But we cannot hear what He has to say because we're in pride. And what is impossible will remain impossible for us. We said pride destroys ministries, ministers, and renders them ineffective until destruction comes. Revelation will not come or will not be received to overcome what is difficult or impossible. So when pride gets a hold of me, folks, when I, when I get into pride, I get frustrated, I get angry, even put off when people ask me to improve on what I do. I feel like what I'm doing is good enough. That's a sign. Go through the Word of God. We've been through on a few of those already. Well, we want to go over here to, to this one. We said that we were going to look at someone who got frustrated enough at a person's request that he was ready to kill the man of God. Remember that? And uh, then no one found it. Of course, you would have to read a whole lot in the Bible unless you, you know it well enough. Then you can just kind of recite it in your head, whichever way that you they go with that. But the, the place we find this is in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to start over here in verse 24. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. Now, after this, if you're wondering what is after this, you can go back and read it all again. You can go back in the couple of chapters that are before this and you can read it, but I'm going to summarize it for you this way. Uh, for a while, the king of Syria was sending raiders and bands of his men into the area of Israel to try and catch the king of Israel, try and catch his troops and so forth. And every time he would do that, Elisha would hear about it. He would go to the king and he'd say, king, they're laying a trap for you over here. King, they're laying a trap for you over here. And the king would avoid the trap and he would not get in the trap. And it got so bad that Ben-Hadad said, you know what? Someone in this group is a, is a traitor. You're telling the king of Israel what's going on. And so he wanted to know who it was. And one of the men stood up and he said, no, it's not one of us. They have a prophet in Israel by the name of Elisha, and he knows the very things you say in your bedchamber. <laughs> and so they said, all right, we've got to go get Elisha. And so they came on out to get Elisha. They took the whole army, and they surrounded the city, Dothan, that he was in. And uh, Elisha is not nervous at all, but the servant he has at the time is very nervous. He's very scary. He says that the army has surrounded us. And he says, no, don't worry about it. The people that are with us are more than the people that are with them. And he said, huh? <laughs> and so Elisha said, Lord, open up his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened up the servant's eyes and he could see the host of angels that surrounded the city as well as the people of the Syrian army. And he was much relieved by that. So Elisha, the man they came looking for, goes out to meet them. And he says, who are you looking for? Uh, we've come here for Elisha. He says, well, the man that you seek is not here, but I'll take you to where he is. So he, the whole army follows him because Elisha had prayed, Father, make them blind. And so they, he makes them blind and they follow Elisha. 
all the way through and they leave Dothan and they come into the city of Samaria and they are in the midst of the city and then suddenly their eyes are not blind anymore and they see they are in the midst of Samaria. They are surrounded by the army of Israel and the man they've been following is Elisha. But he leads them right to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel says, what should we do? Should we kill them? He says, no, these are your guests. Feed them and send them home. He says, show mercy. So they did that. They fed them and they sent them on home. And uh, a few other things had gone on in those chapters before where Israel had showed mercy to the Syrian army. And the Syrian army did not show mercy back. After these things, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. So that's what the word of God is referring to when it says after these things. And there was a great famine in Samaria and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove drumpings for five shekels of silver. Now, you've got to be hungry to eat those things. First off, a donkey is an unclean animal. So, for the Jews to even eat a donkey would have, been un- would have been wrong. It was unclean. But to eat its head. And they were selling them. Apparently, they had some donkey's heads. They didn't have the rest of it, but they had the donkey's heads. I guess they sold off that part and whatever it might be. Um, things were not going well in Samaria. And people were starving. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help me, my, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? He's basically out of stuff. He has no supply. And the king said to her, what is troubling you? And she answered, the woman said to me, or this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So he boiled my son and ate him. Now, that's got to be pretty bad, isn't it? This is for a mom to eat her son. Just imagine what has to overcome you in order for a mom to do that. Usually the mom would give her life for the kid. This is what's going on here now. So she said, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So he boiled my son, ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. <laughs> so... It's not quite fair. My son's dead. We all ate him. And we're supposed to eat your son today. And he's not here. And so he wants the king to settle this argument. And so the king has a reaction. Not so much a, uh, a pleasant response. He, he, has a, he reacts to this. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes and he passed by on the wall. As he passed by and the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Then he said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. Now, if you're wondering, why has this happened to Israel to begin with? Why has Israel gone into this siege? Why has not God delivered them? And uh, I mean, would say, well, God is going to deliver them. We know the end of the story. But would you feel real good if people in the city are going into cannibalism? Would that, would that ring true for you? Something's not right. This is not God's way of doing things. Well, the reason it's not right is this particular king, when he took over, he is the son of Ahab, and he took over and he kept Israel going in not all of the sins, but a lot of the sins that had gone on before. Now, he took down Baal, the altar to Baal, but he still had the two golden calves, and he still let the worship that um, uh, Israel had fallen into when they first separated they still had that worship going on, that false worship of Jehovah that involved these golden calves, one in Dan and one in Bethel. 
And so these things were still going on and he had not corrected it. And I'm sure that there were some other things that they had done that he had not corrected. And we know what God says about idolatry. He told the people of Israel, if you worship me, I will deliver you. I will keep you from these things. But if you don't, if you go after idols, if you go after the idols of the land, if you don't hold to my precepts, if you leave these things, then this will befall you. And he tells them what would happen. And they are in that right now. It's not God's fault. God warned them, don't do it. But the king gets upset and he's ready to kill people, particularly the man of God, Elisha, because it all set off because of this request. Have you ever asked somebody to do something and all of a sudden they exploded? Maybe you're at work and you had a, a person at work and you just asked them something, you know, could, would you mind getting me? And they just exploded. Who am I to get you that stuff? I'm not your, your secretary. I mean, they just explode. Have you ever had that happen? And you're, you're wondering, where did this come from? We've, we've gotten stuff for each other before many times. Why did this one set him off? And you know, it's, it's not that request that did it. It's something that was boiling on the inside and your request just broke him. It was something that had been going on. It was something that was building up. But what was building up? It pretty much comes back to the same thing each time. The thing that is building up in people is pride. And when they explode like that, they're basically saying, what right do you have to put this on me? I have been other things been put on me and I'm not liking these things. And so you, you have that build up and you have that explosion. We have it in the husband and wife situations. A husband may ask something, a wife may ask something, and all of a sudden the spouse blows up. Well, we don't know what happened. Well, something happened during the day. A response wasn't quite what you, you'd wanted. You, you didn't see anything that, that had gone on. Whatever it was, it wasn't necessarily that question, that request. It was something else that was building up. And it came on out. And, but most times that we have these things building up, folks, and you tell me if this isn't true, pride has gotten a hold of us. The reason that it builds up is because we are thinking, I don't deserve this. I shouldn't have to put up with this. Someone should do this for me. We're bringing these things up. We're meditating on these things. And we are thinking of the unrighteous things we are enduring simply because of what other people are doing or are not doing. Have we not, have not every single one of us been in that place where that kind of a response has built up on the inside of us? We've been there. Those kind of things have happened. They have built up. And it is pride trying to get hold of you. We told you before, pride comes in. Where does it come in first? It comes in at our thoughts. It goes from there. It tries to work its way down into your heart. From there, it works into your actions and then begins to influence your talk. It's going to influence your talk. But it's going to have worked its way into all these other things before that ever happens. It has worked its way into all these other things. And that's what we want, don't want to have happen. Have you ever had a... How many people work on computers? How many people have a computer at home? You work on computers. Have you ever did anything with malware? Had some, uh, some kind of uh, virus get on your, your software? By the time you see what that virus is doing, the virus has already worked its way into your computer. It's in your system. It's in different files. And you have to extract it. You can't just stop the thing that you see. When we get into pride, and it has the, the uh, ramification that it affects our speech, what we say, our talk, it has already worked its way into our thoughts, into our heart, our actions, and we have to weed it out of all those things. You can suppress the talk for a while. But after something's going to come up and it's going to set that off, 
And you can, we think the problem was what you said. It's not. It's something on the inside. Pride has worked its way in. So this woman asked this thing, and he's irate. And he's irate at Elisha. Again, people in pride, they don't, they don't look to themselves. They blame others. I put this in your area outline for you. When the king, and his name is Jehoram, when he heard the words of the request of the two women, he reacted. Our reactions give away, give away our heart's condition. If we have a good reaction, now Elisha's going to have a reaction as well when, when some things happen here. And we're going to see it gives away his heart condition. Your reaction in any situation will give away your heart's condition. It's a sign. It's either a good sign or it's a bad sign. It can be one of anything. It can be a good sign. It can be a bad sign. It's your, your reaction. When problems arise, the reactions of people, this is what they tell us. First off, if they are in pride, people who are in pride, their reactions when a problem arises is they blame others. They can't blame themselves because I'm right. Because what? My pride has gotten in, taken over my thoughts, and my thoughts are, I'm right. I'm doing what's good. Everyone else is inferior because I'm in pride. Everyone else is under me. People that are in false humility blame themselves. If something goes on, their reaction is, oh, I didn't do something. Oh, it's false humility. It's a bad place to be. Don't get it. That's a bad heart condition. You don't want that either. How many of y'all know blood pressure ought to be regular, ought to be normal? Low blood pressure is a problem. High blood pressure is a problem. Both are a problem. Where do you want it to be? Normal. Normal. You want it to be in the middle. right? Pride is a problem. So is false humility. It is also a problem. And it will hinder you just like pride will. Don't get into it. The humble, this is their reaction. They go to the word and or seek the Lord's counsel. That's what the humble will do. If they hear a situation, if they hear a problem, they first go to the word or... If the word doesn't come up in them as to what's going on, they go and get the counsel of the Lord or they do both. Sometimes you've seen people in the word of God. They've gotten the word. They've gotten counsel from God that they see something. Remember Daniel, when he was reading and studying the Bible and he saw the captivity was going to be for 70 years, he had a reaction. Here's the word. He went to the word. He got the word. Then he went to God. God, what do you say is next? That's what people that are humble do when they have a problem, when they have something come up, they go to the word. They go to God. They get his counsel before they utter a word or entertain a thought. I didn't say that a thought came into their head. I said, entertain it. Brother Hagin used to always tell us, he says, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can sure stop them from making a nest in your hair. (laughs) You get the, you get the meaning there, right? You can't stop a thought from flying into your head, but you can sure stop it from nesting there. A person who is humble will go to the word or seek the Lord's counsel before they utter a word or entertain a thought. That's what you're going to do. If a thought comes in, no, I'm not going to entertain that. But they might, I think that person is mad at you. I'm not going to entertain that. I'm going to go to the word. I'm going to go to seek the Lord's counsel before I have a thought that I entertain or before I speak a word. That's what they do. Go through the word of God. You're going to find people countless times. We've already gone over some and only a handful of them. But the people who speak first in the word of God... When a problem comes up, get into trouble. The people who go to God first don't. How many times did Moses find at his door disgruntled Israelites? And they say things to him and he does not respond back to him. He goes to the Lord. 
Well, let me take your request to God and see what he has to say. Some of us would get offended at some of the things they said. He, let me just take your request to God. Let me see what he has to say. God would say, do this. Handle it this way. That's what he would do. That's what a humble person does. What's the word of God say about Moses and his humility? There was not a more humble person on the earth than Moses. He's a good example. Look at how he handled problems. Look at how he handled situations. He doesn't react. One time we did see him get mad. He got in trouble for it too, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, most people don't get in as much trouble. But he was in a position that he needed to do that. So there, now there may be some reasons. I had to leave a lot off your outline here today. How many of y'all saw you got a blank piece of paper? Did you get a blank piece of paper in your... All right, good. I asked them to do that, particularly for this, because I, I cut a lot out. And I thought, if any of it matters to you, I tried to keep all the pertinent stuff in there, but if anything matters to you and you wanted to write any of it down, then I wanted you to have an opportunity to do so. So that's why it's there for, you don't have to write anything down at all. You can do whatever you want to, but I'm going to give these things to you. Um, Elisha may have been blamed by the king for three reasons. First, he may have predicted the judgment. I mean, that stands the reason, doesn't it? He's a prophet. God's, what's what's God's going to say? God's going to send his prophets. He's going to send word by his prophets. He's going to say, hey, judgment is coming because you guys have been in idolatry. You haven't let go of it. That would certainly sound, stand a reason. He may have told the king to wait for the Lord's deliverance because one of the things we're going to see in the message that the king sends back is, I'm not going to wait any longer. Why should I wait for the Lord? So he may have been told to wait for the Lord's deliverance. He may have refused to pray and ask God for God's deliverance. The king may have said, the, the people are coming, they're attacking, they're, can you ask God to deliver us? And he said, no, I won't do it. He may have done that. I don't know, he did something. Elisha is not somebody who stands on the sidelines. He gets involved. He had a good example in that, Elijah. Elijah didn't stand on the sidelines. He was involved. Elisha probably took that and he got involved in whatever was going on. So for some reason, he, was, he said something and the king is blaming him for it. It's your fault. It's not my fault, not because I led people into idolatry or didn't get rid of this. Or, no, it's not my fault. It's, the peop- it's uh, Elisha's fault. But Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how the son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? He calls him the son of a murderer. Ahab was a murderer. He murdered people. Beside the ones that we know about with the vegetable garden, there were other ones that he murdered as well. There are prophets of the Lord that he killed. There were other ones that he wanted to kill. It wasn't just the, uh, the, the, the thing over the vegetable garden. It wasn't just that family. There were others. He was the son of a murderer. And he refers to him as that. So that will tell you that he hasn't turned his heart too far from what Ahab was doing. He calls him that. Do, how you've, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent people here to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. So the guy's trying to come in unbeknown, but God has already told Elisha. Now, here's the sensibility of the king. The king is going to send a messenger ahead to tell him and actually try and take his head off to kill Elisha. When Elisha is the one who saved the king from an entire army countless times because the Lord told him what this guy said. Don't you understand the reason? That God's going to tell Elisha what you said? I would think that would stand to reason. But he's not listening to reason. Another sign of people in pride. They very seldom listen to reason. So he says, when he comes to the door, just hold him there. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. 
Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So the king comes in behind him or the message of the king. Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a say of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two says of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So what he is saying is right now, what you don't want to eat is selling for a whole lot of money. Tomorrow, what you do want to eat will sell for very little. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. That's the word of the prophet Elijah. Now, look at this. We, we don't know. You know, this is just somebody from the king. It may be the guy who delivered the message. It may be just be one of the group folks that are there. But it's somebody with the king. It's somebody in this group. And he says this. How can that be? I want to ask you this question. Do you think he is the only one asking that question? <laughs> if you were there. And you heard this. Would you not say, how can this be? If someone were to stand up in a church service right here today and say, and gas, you know, it's, it's getting near what, $4 a gallon, three seventy-five, something like that. Gas, gas is getting up there. And someone were to stand up and say, about this time tomorrow, gas will sell for five cents a gallon. <laughs> inside, how many on the inside say, how can that be? How can that be? <laughs> how is that? Wouldn't we think that? I mean, we may not come out and say it, but we would at least think, how can that be? If a prophet of God were to stand up and say, houses tomorrow about this time are going to sell for $50. Houses. Would we say, how can this thing be? This is what they're experiencing. This is what this word is like. Something that is costing an astronomical amount of money. Now what you want to eat, you're going to have plenty. Right now it's not there. You can't buy it. It's not there. But tomorrow about this time, it's not only going to be there. It's going to be there in such abundance that it'll be cheap. And this man vocalizes it. I'll tell you what, folks. It is real, real, real important. Everybody say real important. I mean, get this down. Get this down. Even if you have doubts in your head, do not speak them with your mouth. It's real important to get that. Remember when Jesus was ministering and the, the man had got the report, don't bother the teacher anymore, your daughter is dead. Immediately Jesus turns to him and says, what do you want to say? No. He interrupts him before he can say a word. Because it's extremely important that even though you might have doubts on the inside, that you do not vocalize them with your mouth. Super important. I'll tell you what, folks. Do, be careful with what you say. Be careful with what you say. It is imperative that you watch the words of your mouth. The Word of God says that life and death are in the power of the Word. No, the tongue. Uh-huh. Exactly. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Watch your words. Watch your words. Thought may come in. Does not mean you have to say it. Don't let it, don't let it get out. So he tells this guy, you're going to see it, but you're not going to eat it. You're going to see it, but you're not going to eat it. Just like the prophecy we looked at last week over the king 
of Judah. And he said to him, you are going to go to Babylon. You're going to die in Babylon, but you're not going to see Babylon. And that prophecy came true. His eyes were put out. So as we said, do you think this is the only one hearing who disbelieves it? But he is the only one who verbalizes his unbelief. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, in verse 20, it reads this. Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you will prosper. We need to take what the Word of God says and do it. We need to make sure that we do those, those kind of things. Now, I've, I don't, how many of you have had negative experiences in the past? <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard not to, right? We've had negative experiences. Have you ever had those negative experiences come back into your memory? Sometimes they plague you. They keep coming back and they bother you. They keep thinking about those negative experiences. They have those things that come in. Years ago, I've never shared this. Never shared this word, period. This is just something that was spoken to me. There are times I've thought of sharing it. But it always seemed like whenever we did, well, you know, so-and-so is going to take this personally. I'm not saying this to any one person here. I'm saying this, this is what God spoke to me to help me out. Because I had some bad experiences in churches. And sometimes they haunted me. For a while, some of them caused me to not get involved in ministry for a while. I dropped out of ministry for a year before we started the church here. And I told God, if I can do something else, I'm going to do it. So I told God. Went down to Tulsa, spent a year down there, purposely did not take the job that I had because I knew if I did, I would love it. And I knew I probably would never get back into ministry again. So I said, I got to give myself at least a fighting shot. So I worked at something else. So I sold cars and did stuff like that. But one of the experiences that I had there, I don't know if I've ever told you this experience. I may have, I may not have. The experience is not as, uh, as much as the, what God finally told me about this thing. But there was a time we had a New Year's Eve service. And maybe this is why I don't like New Year's Eve services. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I didn't like them before. I'm pretty sure I didn't like them before. I, just, uh, I, I don't think I liked them before. But whatever it was, this was a New Year's Eve service. We had it at a church I was serving in. And uh, we had a, a bunch of uh, things going on. We had, you know, it was an all-night service. It started something like uh, 7, 8 o'clock. And it went on until midnight. And uh, I dreaded it every year. As far as I remember, I dreaded it every year. I didn't like it. I didn't like all the things that went on in it. But, you know, I was the assistant pastor. I kind of had to be there. So I showed up. And I was there. And uh, while we were there, and there was a lull in some things that were going on. There was a lull in the worship. But a, a word of God came up on the inside of me. And so I got up and shared it. And it was a, a pretty strong word. It was a word that had some predictive aspects to it. I remember that. I don't really remember what the word was outside of that. And so we spoke this thing, but the whole service was recorded, and the word was recorded. And after the service was over, people went down into the bookstore and got tapes of it. The person who ran the bookstore, who was under me at the time, they were one of the areas of the church that I, I uh, uh, was under, uh, I was supposed to, to help and to take care of and so forth. So they came to me afterwards, and they said, uh, that is the hottest selling tape I have ever seen. They, they, they made more copies of that thing. More of them, people were getting it. and They were there in the meeting, but they still got the tape, took it on home, listened to it and stuff like that. And, um, and after the meeting, everybody was, boy, that was a good word. That was good this way. Well, one particular elder didn't like it. 
Just one. And so this particular elder sold, sowed some seeds into the other elders and into the pastor. And within a week or two, I was called before the board of elders and the pastor and raked over the coals for the content of the prophecy. Actually, not the content. Just, uh, they just raked me over the coals. They actually didn't say a word about anything that I said. They just raked me over the coals. And, just, uh, and I tell you what, that hurt. I, was, I came out of there. And you know what you want to do when you get anything like that going on? You know what you want to do? You want to leave. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to leave. I wanted to say, well, you turkeys. I'll show you. I can have my office packed up. I can be out of here. And you find someone else who will do what I do for the money you pay me. They were paying me $6 an hour. $6. They had dropped at a dollar. Without telling me. They had dropped at a dollar. Paying me $6 an hour. They paid me that for 10 hours a week. I worked there 40 to 50. I, I, I'm going over this thing. I said, you, you find somebody. I taught the Sunday night service. I taught the youth group. I taught the college and career group. I did... I did all kinds of areas of ministry. I was over. I was taken care of. I did more. I ran their board meetings. I ran their elder meetings. I organized the office. The secretary answered to me. I took care of all the bulletins. I took care of all the publications. And they paid me $6 an hour for about 10 hours a week. I also handled all the visitation and all the marriage counseling. I was single. I handled all the marriage counseling because the pastor had he gotten involved in marriage trouble. So I took care of all that. If they had a situation in the church that they didn't want to deal with, they threw it to me and sat on the sidelines and decided if I did a good job or not. This was constantly done in there. But this time they decided to bring me before the entire board and rake me over the coals. Now, after I had left there, that wasn't the first time. There was one other time that they did it after that. And, but after I left there, and I had uh, I'd gone on. I didn't, I didn't go after one of those episodes. I didn't go after that episode. But I kept visiting. How many times have you done that? You visit it. You go over it in your mind. And you think about it. And you relive the hurt. And you relive the pain. And you relive all the things that you did. And all the things that they didn't do. You know what spirit that is? It's pride. It's pride. Folks, I was serving God. And pride is trying to get a hold of me. I couldn't let that happen. No, I, cannot, I, I can't do that. It's trying. It's working at me. I feel justified. I could tell you more. It would justify it even more. I could, I could tell you more. <laughs> it would justify it. But God does not want us to be justified. So one of the times that I'm sitting there in the, in the shop or, or driving around on the road when I was working for Kelsters and this thing would come in. And I mean, it, it visited me a lot. I would come up and me and I keep thinking, I should have left. I should have left. I should have left. What was worse about it was sometime before that, I was feeling like I should leave. It was time for me to move on and go into another area of uh, doing something else. I was feeling like I should leave, but I didn't, and I stayed, and then I had this thing go on. Now, I don't know if I was right the first time and in, in that I should have left or if I was just getting frustrated and discouraged, because sometimes that will happen too. But this is the thing that dropped into my spirit about it. This is what helped me out to stop thinking about all those things. If it helps you out, then great. If it doesn't help you out, then just, you know, you do something else with it. I wrote it down for you. It's not in your outline. 
<laughs> but I wrote it down so I made sure I got it right. This is what came to me. God spoke just to me because one of those times I'm I'm mulling over that and I'm feeling all the hurt again. And whenever you feel the hurt, you know what's coming up on the inside of you? Pride. And it's trying to get you caught into that pride mode again. This came up to me. It is easier for many to obey what they feel God is saying after their flesh has been tweaked than when their spirit is just directed. I said it to you one more time. It is easier for many to obey what they feel God is saying after their flesh has been tweaked than when their spirit is directed. Folks, my flesh was tweaked. My flesh was more than tweaked. I'm, just getting, I'm saying that lightly. I was going to all the stuff that I did, all the things that I helped them with, all the things that I had done. And I, I felt more than tweaked. And you know how easy it is to do what you feel God is telling you to do? I'll give you another point. How many have ever heard people got divorced? And they say, God led me. God directed me. Have you ever heard that from people? Yeah, ask them what the situations were when they got divorced. You'll find out that they got angry with each other. And they were mad that their flesh was tweaked. And suddenly, they felt that it was that, that easy to do. Folks, we're going to be have anything. I don't know if that helps you at all. But every time that, that thought come in and try and get me to rehearse, rehearse all those things that I had been through in that church before, I think about this word. I says, yep, yep, yep. And uh, I remember, Steve, you almost obeyed. If, if you would have obeyed, if you would have left, if you felt that that was God, you almost obeyed and did what you felt God saying simply because your flesh was involved. What do you think that does? Now, if, how many were on Facebook last night? Anybody see this, any of these things? I put a couple posts up on there. And I don't know if any of you, you saw them. One of them I put up on, on there was, uh, did you have that? Did you, could you pull that up on the screen at all? You're on the church Facebook page? Can you, uh, it's the second, the second one down in the list. Yes. Let's see if we can put that up there. I wanted you to see this. And if you, if you weren't up on there, because um, this is something we can, uh, you can just do so easily. I don't know about you, but. I know that I, I certainly have. Any more time? I can go into something. All right. We're going to look here first at Elisha's example. This, again, is not on, I don't believe this is on your, is this on your outline? Did I fit this in there? Elisha's example? All right. First off, he recognized the problem and the answer. He's a spiritual person. He's not getting pulled into his flesh. He recognized the problem and the answer. People who are in pride generally only recognize the problem. So too with people who are false in false humility. They generally only see the problem. They don't really see the answer. They see what they want to do. They don't see the answer. It does not speak or see or speak of himself under the problem. He does not see or speak of himself under the problem. He saw or spoke God's answer as if it has already occurred. He does not go away for a long prayer session. He immediately acts on the word God gives him. We need to go after the example of people like Elisha. Now, hang on to that thought. We're going to get back to it. Where's our, our part there? That's that top part I wanted to see. Some have become so enamored with what God has done through or for them, that's God's actions, that they have lost focus on what God has said to them in God's word, thereby losing what God has worked in them their spiritual growth. What that means is some have become so taken 
with what God has done through them, what God has done for them, or what God has not done for them. How many of you can tell people that are so caught up with either what God has done through them, what God has, always talking about the miracles God has done for them, or talking about what God has not done for them. They become so enamored with the actions of God that they lose sight on the Word of God. And when we lose sight of the Word of God and get more focused on His actions and not on His Word, what we lose in the process is what God has done in us. That's what we lose in the process. So what the enemy is always trying to do is to get you to focus on the actions. Remember something that Jesus told his disciples one time when they came back after he commissioned them, sent them on out? And they came on back and they said, Master, even the demon spirits are subject to, to us in your name. And he says, don't fancy yourselves because the demon spirits listen to you. Fancy yourselves that you are, your name is written in the Word of Life, the Book of Life. Be glad that you're saved. Don't lose sight of the things going on in his action. How many have ever had God work through you in that you have shared the gospel with somebody or you have laid hands on somebody and they got healed or something good happened to them after you prayed for them? How many have ever had that happen? Got excited? Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing. If you get so focused on that, you lose the focus on the Word. If you lose the focus on the Word, you will lose hold of what God has done in you. That's your character. That's your spiritual growth. That's your progress. Don't ever lose sight of that. Hang on to the Word of God. Hang on to the Word of God. Ministers, people in ministry especially, have to be on guard against this because we become so enamored by what God is doing through the different things, different aspects of ministry that, that a person has in ministry. You can get so enamored by all of it that you forget about the Word of God and forget that the Word of God is supposed to speak to you for correction, for training in righteousness. Can't ever forget that. Because no matter who you are as a minister of God, your body, your flesh is still being worked on. We're not there yet. We need to still keep on, on going. Put up on the Facebook thing there too. Sometimes people become so full of themselves that the Word of God cannot get in them. And it can't get in for correction. It can't get in for change. That's pride. That's why the devil wants to get you full of yourself, full of your ministry, full of what you do for God, full of your service. Because if he gets you into pride, the Word of God won't make entry into your life anymore. The Word of God says... Brother David Ingalls puts it to Psalm. The entrance of his word gives light. But in order for it to give light, what does the word have to do? It has to enter. And if we are so full of ourselves, so full of pride, it cannot get in. The Pharisees were so filled with pride. They were in service to God. So full of pride, no matter what Jesus spoke to them, it did not get through. And the word that was spoken to them you are making your followers twice as fit for hell as you are yourselves. They were in service to God. And the word of God that came to them was, you are making your followers twice as fit for hell as you are yourselves. Word of 2 Kings 
Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? They're at the entrance of the gate. If the city is besieged, what side of the gate do you want to be on? <laughs> on the inside. And they're not on the inside, folks. They're on the outside. They're not allowed in the city. They're leprous. If you looked at Matthew Henry's commentary, or if you go home and you want to look at this, or you look at some other areas, there is a note that some of the Jewish historians have written, or the Jews have passed down through tradition, whichever way that it is, that these four leprous men have a name that you will recognize. That the first of the names you will recognize is Gehazi. And the other three are his sons. I don't know if that's true. The Bible doesn't say his name. But it does put these, these three in there. Now, later on, you're going to see some interaction between the king and Gehazi. Is that how they got hooked up again? You don't know because before this, Gehazi gets chucked out over the episode with, with Naaman. And you remember what Elisha predicted or said about him? The leprosy of Naaman be on you and who? On your household. Hmm. So maybe they have something in there. Anyway, has absolutely no bearing on the story at all. Just one of those things to, to throw out for you. It says, why are we sitting here waiting until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. <laughs> We're already dying. We're st- if there's no food inside the city, there's no food for them outside the city. So they say the Syrians may not have as big a hang up about leprous people as the Israelites do. So they're there. They got food. Let's go on down there. Maybe they give us something to eat and we live. If they don't, they kill us and we're done. <laughs> you got to be pretty desperate to be thinking like that, right? And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. They're surprised. There's no one here. You're coming to the Syrian camp. This is the army that is besieging the city. The city is all locked up. Because of fear of these guys, and they come to the camp, and there's no one there. Tents are empty. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of the chariots, the noise of horses, horses, and the noise of great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Now, you don't just come up with that thought because you heard a noise. How many people can relate to hearing noises? Have you been in bed at night, all turned in, and all of a sudden you heard a noise? And you tap your husband or your wife, did you, did you hear that? I didn't hear anything. I was asleep. There's a noise. I heard it. Something fell. I think somebody's downstairs. Why do you think that? Most times people think that it's because they have a fear that eventually someone is going to break into our house. And a noise just confirms a fear that they already have. If you don't have a fear that anybody's breaking into your house, you hear a noise, you think, oh, check that out in the morning. You don't get bothered by it. It's not a, it's not a big deal. I mean, he heard uh, Smith Wigglesworth's story. He heard a, a noise downstairs or, or saw a light or something like that. And so he came on down. I think his dog, maybe his dog responded to it or, or something like that. He came on downstairs and he saw the devil sitting in a rocking chair. He had, you know, his olden days, they had lamps 
to, for light. They didn't have flashlights. I always keep a flashlight by me in the bed. If I have to get up in the middle of the night to tend the fire or something like that, I got the flashlight there. And I get, and I get on down. He had a lamp. So he had the lamp. He held it up. And he said, oh, it's only you. Blew out the lamp and went to bed. <laughs> and that'll get them. He didn't have a fear of the devil. He didn't have that fear. When you hear a noise, your fears come up. Those fears that you have, they begin to come up. And this is what happened with these folks. They had the fear already there that Israel might go out and hire these people. And so when they heard the noises, they said, huh, I think they did it. And so they quickly, as, as fast as they could, they just left. They left all their stuff because they wanted to in haste get out of there because they felt like they're going to be surrounded and that they were going to be killed. Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Get this, folks. The, how many of you have, don't, don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you have enemies? Enemies at work, enemies in the neighborhood, enemies that, go, that have your same name. You know, we have enemies out there. You have enemies. God knows the fears of your enemies. All he has to do is cause a noise to instigate those fears, and they do the rest. <laughs> and don't think God won't do it. He did it here. If he did it for idolatrous Israelites, how much more will he do it for you? Glory to God. So they come on down, and they, they see... Uh, place is empty. Now, the word of God was that deliverance was coming and that supply was coming. If you were to think this through, the only supply that was within near, earshot, anything, anything around, was the camp of the Syrians. Now, these four leprous men are not making a journey of faith. If you make a journey of faith, you make it based on an act, or you, you have an action based on the word that you heard, right? That's, a, that's faith. They're not doing that. They're hopeless. These four lepers have an act of hopelessness. They have no hope. Hey, we're going to die here. We might die there. We might live there. Let's go down there. If we die, we die. Is that faith? No, that's no, hopelessness. It was an act of hopelessness. Had they known the word of the Lord and acted on it, it would have been one of faith. But they didn't know the word of the Lord, or if they did, they didn't act on it. I put this in your outline. Get this down. You cannot accidentally have a faith action. <laughs> there are no faith accidents. It just doesn't go on. You have to know what the word of God says and act on it. The Lord knew the fears of some of the Assyrians and gave them an opportunity to believe them. He'll do that for your enemies too. Just understand. You understand you can pray this. Father God, you did this in your word. This is an enemy. This is a person that is rising up against me. You know their fears. I pray right now that you do something to cause their fears so that they can believe them, that they're coming about. God will do it. God's not going to act on their behalf. He's going to act on whose? Now, how many, if you, if you are thinking, this is just a side note. This is not in your outline. If you want to write it down, you write it down. You do whatever you want to. But this is just a side note. How many people believe what they see and believe what they hear more so than what God has said? How many, perhaps, how many messages have we heard on faith that in order to be in faith, you've got to believe what God has said, not what your senses tell you, not what you hear and not what you see? Take a look at this story. If we look at the whole story, the whole couple of chapters up to now, first off, the Syrians see things falsely. 
And now the Syrians hear things falsely, and still there are people who would rather believe what they see and what they hear. The Syrians believe what they saw and they got themselves into trouble. They believe what they heard and they got themselves into trouble. No, believe what the Word of God says over what you see and over what you hear. All right, verse 7. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into what? One tent. How many people went into one tent? Four people go into one. How many tents are there? There. Probably thousands of tents. Lots of tents. They won't go into one tent. Picture it this way. Picture the largest mall that you have ever been in. Now, I got that pictured? Largest mall that you have ever been in. I guess the largest mall that I have ever been in is probably the one down in King of Prussia. It's the largest mall. Imagine walking in to that particular mall and everyone is gone. All the stores are open. There's no one around. Would you go into one store? <laughs> How many of you go into more than one store? Yeah, all right. I, I'm just trying to get you out of the idea. You get the picture of what's going on. The Bible says one tent for a reason. It's trying to get you to understand this. They went into one tent. If you go into one tent, that means you don't know what's in the other tents. How do you know that what's in that tent isn't better? You don't, because you went into one tent. They went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent. Now we get into another. But first, we just went into one tent. We ate and we drank. We captured all the stuff and went and hid it. Then we go into a second tent. Two tents. Out of probably thousands. Entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. and We remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they were glad for what they had come to or what had come to them, but they were not grateful for what God had done to all. It is very easy for Christians to be very glad for what God has done for them, but not grateful for what God has done for all. It's called envy. I become envious when I see that God has done something for someone else instead of me. I put this in your outline. Too many people are mannerly thankful. This is from the archives. We had this in there like five years ago. Too many people are mannerly thankful, but they are not gratefully thankful. Now, if you wonder what in the world does that mean, I'm going to explain it to you. Too many people are mannerly thankful, but they are not gratefully thankful. How many of you are paid on a weekly basis? Anybody paid on a weekly basis? Anybody paid on a bi-weekly basis? All right, whatever it is that you are paid on, bi-weekly, weekly, however it comes, when that paycheck, when your employer writes that paycheck and gives it to you, how many of you say, thank you? If they come to you and they hand it to you, how many of you say, thank you? 
Are you saying it in a way that, oh, I am so grateful. I wasn't sure if I was going to get this. I wasn't sure. Are you saying that? No. How are you saying it? In a mannerly way. You are being, you're having good manners. Someone has given you something, even though it's yours, you earned it. You are having manners and you're saying, thankful. Thank you. I thank you for that. Thank you very much. But he said, you know, I don't think you thanked me well enough for that. I'm I'm not going to give this to you this time. Your demeanor would change. You're not gratefully thankful. You're mannerly thankful. Now, if someone you didn't know, didn't work for, came up to you and handed you a check for $15,000, how many of you would be mannerly thankful? No, no, no. You would not be mannerly thankful. You would be gratefully. Thank you so much. I don't know why you're doing this, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can you see the difference between being mannerly thankful and gratefully thankful? These folks were mannerly thankful in that, hey, you know, we got something for us and we're kind of thankful, but we're not in that place where we are grateful for what God has done for all. And that's where they needed to be. And they said, if we don't, we don't change this, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they, this, I'll tell you what, this thing is just so packed with stuff. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp and surprisingly, no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and tents intact. So they go to the gate. They see the lepers. They're not supposed to be inside. They come to them and say, we went to the Syrians. There's no one there. Y'all come on out. There's stuff to be had. And the gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. Hmm. Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. I made this note in mine. You can make it in yours if you want to. But no matter how or with what God supplies your need, there will be people around you who will not accept it. Have you ever told people what God has done for you? God healed me. God supplied my need. God, and what did they say? It wasn't God. I didn't really do that. God doesn't do that anymore. They have a, a thing that they say. No matter how or with what God supplies your need, there will be people around you who will not accept it. The king heard the word of the prophet. The king then hears the word of the lepers. The Syrians have gone. If you heard the word of the prophet, are you not then attuned to hearing something in line with what the prophet has said? Seeing something to go on? But he's not. Now, let me tell you what's going on. (laughs) This this is a trap. The Syrians have set a trap. They want us all to come out of the city and come pouncing down upon all this stuff. And when we do, they're going to come out of the woods and slay us all. Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. Yep. I made this note, too. I I couldn't put this note in your outline. You can do whatever you want to with it. (laughs) Deliverance, though accomplished, is not realized until fear is put aside. I wish I would have been able to put that in there. Deliverance, though accomplished, is not realized until fear is put aside. Has Israel already been delivered? 
but they are still shut up in the city. When the news comes that they are delivered, they are still shut up in the city. Why? Because of fear. Folks, let me tell you this. God has brought deliverance for his children and still they don't accept it because of fear. Fear of being disappointed. Fear of being let down. Fear of something. Deliverance, though accomplished, is not realized until fear is put aside. So the king rose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know we are hungry, therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and said, Please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. They still have five horses. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. So what are they saying? Let's have another night with the flies. Yeah, let, the, let the frogs stay around a little bit longer, right? Whatever the, the problem was, let's let it hang out a little bit longer because we're afraid. So they pick a few folks and they go, how many of you would have volunteered for that service? If you were in fear, you wouldn't have. And they went after them to the Jordan and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a say of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two says of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled him in the gate. He died, just as the man of God had said who spoke when the king came down to him. So he says, you watch the gate and you control the flow of traffic. So what happened was because all these folks were in fear, the news comes and the news spreads all around the city. Hey, we got these guys and they're going out to check it out. So where do you think, if you were in the city at that point, where do you think you are? Either by the gate, ready to go, and you got somebody, one of your family members up there on the wall. You just tell me, and I, I'm gone. And I'll get us some stuff, and I'll bring it back. So you got some people up on the wall, ready to give, and you got these other people. They are down by the gate. They are ready to go, because they are hungry. And so all this buildup, when the word finally comes, yeah, it's true, they open the gate, and hold on, one at a time. Single file? No. <laughs> they all just came out. That's kind of like a Black Friday thing when they open the doors at Walmart. I imagine. I've not been there. <laughs> I'm just imagining what it's, what it's like if that kind of thing happens. So this is what it's like, and he gets trampled and he dies. So he hears about it. He sees some of the stuff. He doesn't get to taste any of it. So what happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two says of, of barley for a shekel and a say of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the Lord. The, 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 then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. Mm. Pride is destructive. It will cause a problem 
you need to get it fixed. How many times do we go to heart people to check out our heart, to give us stress tests, to give us uh, EKGs and things to see if our heart is doing okay? Because we know that there could be a problem with our heart and we are not aware of it until when? It's too late and you have a heart attack and there's damage and things go on. And so we do these things preventively to check it out. You need to preventively check out yourself. Make sure that your heart condition is right. Because if pride works its way in, or false humility, but especially pride, if this works its way in, it will destroy you. And you will not even be aware of it. I put this in your outline for you. If the word you are learning, you're listening to podcasts, you're listening to tapes, you're reading books, reading articles, you're doing things, you're absorbing the word. If the word you are learning is not having a positive effect upon your words, your actions, your reactions, and your thoughts. If the word you are learning is not having a positive effect upon your words, actions, reactions, or thought. The words that you say. The words that you say with your mouth ought to be affected by the word of God that you have learned. You shouldn't just blurt out words. Your actions, the things that you do, should, have be, should become affected by the word of God that you heard and have a belief in, right? Your reactions, when people say things to you, your reactions should have had been affected by the word of God. How many of you can remember how you reacted before you got born again? And how are you reacting to people now? Hopefully, it's better. It should be better. It should be having a positive effect on you. And your thoughts. The word of God should be, that you are learning, should have an effect upon the thoughts. The word of God says, think on good things. When you think about other people, what kind of things should you think? Good things. Think the best of people. This is what you should do. The word of God should have this effect on you. If it does not, you may be merely a wart. On the body of Christ. Now, I did that for a reason. W-A-R-T. Words, actions, reactions, and thoughts. Help you remember it. You may be part of the body of Christ, but you may just be a wart. What do you do with a wart? It's unsightly. It's a problem. It can become a problem. You try and remove them. You try and fix them. You, try, you do things to warts, right? You, you, don't, you don't like warts. We don't, we don't want warts. We want functional parts. If the word you are learning is not having a positive effect upon your words, your actions, your reactions, and your thoughts, you may merely be a wart on the body of Christ. Did you like that? How many warts we have here? <laughs> Hopefully none. Hopefully no warts. We don't want to be warts. But this is what we have to learn, folks. The Word of God has got to have an effect upon us. If we don't have the Word of God affecting us and pride has an effect on us, then we are going to have certain things go up. There are signs. We went over this how many weeks ago? Read the signs. You need to see if there are signs that you have fallen or are falling into pride. If you are, 
there are some reactions that will come. There are some thoughts that will come. There are some words that will come. There are some actions that will come. Because you are in pride. If you are in the word, they will not. The last thing we put up there on the Facebook thing was about conformity. How many have ever heard that conformity is bad? There's not, not all conformity is bad. Some conformity is good. If we conform to the image of God, it's good. If we conform to the world, it's bad. It depends on what goes on on the inside. If pride gets a hold of us, even though we are in church every Sunday, even though we serve God, even though we listen to word during the week, if pride gets a hold of us, folks, we will conform to the image of this world. If the word of God gets a hold of us and we are constantly meditating on the word of God, our conformity will be to the image of God, to the image of the word, to the image that his spirit is leading us to. Isn't that the place we want to be? I want to conform to his image, not the world's. What image are you conforming to? What image are you conforming to? You're conforming to some image. Something is going on. We're being changed. Is it for the good? Is it for the bad? Don't raise your hand on this. But how many of you can tell there are some things going on on the inside of me I'm being conformed into a wrong image? I can see some of the signs. Glory to God, you saw the signs. Change it. Change it. What's the reason that most people get into exercise programs? Because the doctor has said you need to exercise. Your heart rate, your heart rate isn't right. Your blood pressure is too low, too high. Your heart needs something, whatever it might be. The reason that people get into that is because their heart needs conditioning. And they, they tell you that, you know, get out there and exercise. Get out there and do some things to, to affect that. They're telling you, there's some signs. Take the warning signs. Folks, in our spiritual life, there are some warning signs. I'm not being a, a sufficient pastor for you if I don't let you know what the warning signs are. We need to direct them. We need to get rid of them. We need to fix them. And whatever we do in service to God, always do it with the heart of a servant. Pride won't let you do it. Always do it with the heart of a servant. I'm here to serve. I'm here to help. This is where we grow. This is where we do wonderful things. God does what to the proud? He resists them. What's he do to the humble? He gives grace. I mean, he gives grace. I'm sure if we had a show of hands, we could all say our life is not perfect. We've got some things that we're missing out on our life. That's all right. It's okay. There's grace. And we're working on those things. And God's helping us. But if pride has gotten in, what God wants to do to get rid of those things will hinder us. If we don't listen, we are not prepared for what's coming down in the future. If we are not prepared for what's coming down in the future, we will come into a place of failure. Very often, we blame God. We don't want you to blame God. We want you to have a successful life. Grow and develop. Be nurtured in the things of God.
I've got to grow. You've got to grow. We grow by hearing the word, listening to correction, and serving the Lord. These are all things that help us to grow. Got to make sure we serve correctly. Would you all stand up with me? Today being the first Sunday is our communion Sunday. And as we hand the elements out, do as the Word of God says when it tells us, when we come before the Lord's Supper, we need to check out our own heart. We need to check out our own self. Are we right? If you have something against somebody, you're harboring something against them, you need to release it. Get rid of it. Don't hold that, don't hold that thing up. Let it go. Let the love of God overtake us. Pride, folks, we get into pride, the love of self overcomes the love of God. We get into false humility, the love of others overcomes the love of self. What does the Word of God tell us to do? Love others as you do yourself. Both put you in a wrong direction. It is wrong to love yourself more than others. It is wrong to love others more than yourself. What is right is to love others as you love yourself. Which means you have to be able to love yourself. And you need to look at yourself through the eyes of grace. The devil would have you look at yourself through the eyes of condemnation. Look at all the things you've done that are wrong. Look at all the things you've done that come short. And he would have you look at yourself through the eyes of condemnation. If you can destroy your love of self, you will not love others the way you should. And he can pull you off on the one side of the road or the other. It should not be a surprise that the issue of pride and humility and false humility, humility is an issue of love. It's an issue of love. Get your love right. You'll find out you got the pride and the humility issue taken care of too. Get the love right. Love others as you love yourself. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He gave thanks for it. And he broke it. And he said, take this and do this as often as you remember me. We're to remember that his body was broken for us. His body has nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins, but it's restoring us to a place of righteousness. His body has only to do with the physical things that we go through. His body was broken for us, that we would be healed, that the curse was put on his body, that we do not have to bear it. We need to become renewed on that. Jesus bore our sickness and our disease. We don't have to bear it anymore. As we eat this together, let's remember the work of the body of Christ. He then took the cup after supper. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. As often as you drink this, remember, Jesus was bringing them into the new covenant. In the old covenant, under the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats covered up sin. In the new covenant, his sin washed us clean. Sin is no longer held against us. We don't have to keep continually making sacrifices to cover up sin because the blood of the Lamb washes us clean. There is nothing we need to add to the work that Jesus did. No penance on our part. No good works. 
just receive the righteousness that comes from him. As we drink together, let's remember his work. Hmm. Father, we thank you for the work that you did on the cross through Jesus to redeem us, to buy our salvation, redeem us back. Every day we want to remember the work that Jesus did. We don't lose sight of it. Pride gets us into a place to remember what we did and what we've been through. We don't want to fall into that. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have some uh, praise reports, I'm sure. If you uh, did not turn them in, you have a few moments. You can quickly write it down. I have one that I printed. We had one come in off, off of Facebook today. Just put that in uh, this morning. This comes from Brian. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have one from Jolly here. He says, I'm cleared for commencement graduation. Congratulations, on May 10th, 2014, instead of May 2015. So, a year early. Praise God. Hmm. Um, Liberty University. Oh, in Virginia. We're all invited. So make yeah. plans to attend. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. That's wonderful. I'm a little unnerved by your, uh, not unnerved, um, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells from this <laughs> this message this morning. I don't want to be a wart on the body of Christ. <laughs> oh, golly, that hit me. <laughs> um, Phil said, I fell a week ago and had trouble walking, but I laid hands on my knee and the pain is gone. Praise God. Can we take this down just a tad? Thank you. I love the fact we can lay hands on ourselves. Amen. Ray says, I praise God that the business I am a part of thrives. There are many believers there, and you bless us as we battle the <laughs> ravages of the enemy. Glory to God. Amen. I have to ask you about that business. I want to be a part of that. Um, Phyllis also says, I got to work at an extra job site to make some extra money. Also, our industry is booming, extra work, and extra money. Praise God. Sounds like a good thing there. And Ricky says, I'm thankful for God watching over me in the hurdles in my life this week. And a used tire place opened late to replace two tires from a pothole. Oh, praise God for that. Um, and he's, is that, you want us to pray over finances? Okay, okay. Gotcha. Can you hold that one? And Anna says, thank God for a good report. Praise God. I like that one. Good report. It says, I am no longer on Coumadin. If anybody doesn't know what that is, that's a blood thinner. Uh, no more blood tests. I'm now free to move out on my own. Um, I'm doing very well. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And this one, um, how many of you all remember Brian Beaver? used to come here. Um, he's since moved over to the Philippines. He met a young lady. Awesome story how that happened. But anyway, he met a young Filipino lady, moved over to the Philippines, got married, has a little baby now, and his name is Francis Robert. He says, um, thank you, Father God, for answering my prayers and giving me a beautiful wife with the heart of Jesus. Her name is Hannah, by the way. She's beautiful. Uh, most recently, thank, thank God for blessing my wife and I with Francis Robert, a healthy baby boy. Hannah and I would like to thank both of our families and friends for all your patience, support, and great advice for us over the past three years. Thank you to Pastor Steve and Connie. Um, at Zoe Christian Fellowship Church for your continual guidance in God's Word. We love downloading the podcasts you put out. Last I heard, Hannah said she downloaded 73 podcasts. So <laughs> I don't know what she's doing with them over there. <laughs> they stay in touch with us all the time. Put things up on the church page. You may have seen it. If you have seen somebody come up there uh, with Brian or Hannah 
and you don't know who they are. That is them. It is uh, the need to have that. But he just posted that up here this morning. I want to make sure that we butted over. And if you are never not able to make it in on a church service and you do post it up on Facebook, I will see it and I will print it out and I will bring it in. You can uh, text it in. You can do other stuff like that. But it's really easy when you post it up on Facebook because then I just print it out and bring it in like we did this one. And so I don't have to, to do anything different on that. So, so keep that up. Um, tell you what, folks, just with, with people, just love them. Everybody that you can around you. Love them. Love them with everything you got. Don't judge them. Don't, don't get mad at them. Don't get angry at them. Watch your reactions. Watch your words. Love them. No matter what they have done to you in the past, love them. As much as, no, I'm not saying trust them. They may have hurt you. And they may, I'm not saying you got to, we, we talked over that before. But always love them. Always love them. It's more of a test of where you are than where they are. And just show God. Father God, I'm not going to, get out of that. I'm not going to get into pride. I'm not going to be thinking about what I have done, how I am right, how it is that I have been wronged. Tell you what, it helped me out because that, that was bugging me. Helped me down for, for, the, for a number of them. That same word helps me on a number of incidences that kept coming up. Because just like you, I, I got those things that come up in my head. You were wronged here. It wasn't right. And yeah, holds, holds you back. Don't be held back by that. Love everyone that you can. How many of you have somebody in your life that is very difficult to get along with? Don't get rid of them. Don't get rid of them. They are helpful in your life to pinpoint all the areas you need to work on. They are good. If you get rid of them, somebody else has to come along. 